This is Gil Manser giving a special welcome to our returning listeners and a hello, glad to have you with us to our newcomers as well. You are listening to Word by Word Conversations with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. Since Valentine's Day is fast approaching, I have invited Susan Pease Godwa and Vicki Larson to help us consider our thoughts about love and marriage with their groundbreaking book, The New I Do, The New I Do, Reshaping Marriage for Skeptics, Realists, and Rebels. Susan Pease Godwa is an LCSW based in the Bay Area who uses Skype to counsel clients across the globe about marriage and divorce. In addition to the new I do, she is also the author of the best-selling Contemplating Divorce, a step-by-step guide to deciding whether to stay or go, <laughs> Stronger Day-by-Day, Reflections for Healing and Rebuilding After Divorce, and The Top Ten Misguided Reasons to Stay in a Bad Marriage. Award-winning journalist Vicki Larson is the Lifestyles Editor at the Marin IJ and writes for other outlets as well, including Mommy Tracked, Managing the Chaos of Modern Motherhood, Knowing Pains, Women on Love, Sex, and Work in Our Forties, and Working Chronicles, a national project that explores what Americans think about work. Her questioning articles for the Huffington Post include, Should We Make Marriage Harder to Stop Divorce? Why Is No One Paying Attention to Divorced Dads? Would you rather love an OS or a real person? And perfect for today's discussion, why marriage advice just doesn't work. Vicki and Susan, I want to welcome you to Word by Word. Thank you, Gil. Thank you so much, Gil. I think it'll prove helpful to our listeners if you share a little bit about your own experiences with marriage and would like to start. I, Susan, I will start, you're yes. first. Okay. Um, so I actually didn't get married until I was 43. And... One of the influences for me in in this book is the fact that people kept asking me what was wrong with me, and I was including your your mom. I assume. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. yeah. Uh, so I wasn't uh, fitting in the mold, and then I uh, began working with divorcing people who kept telling me that they felt like they had failed and their marriage was a failure, and so I felt like there was something really wrong with the picture when. Anyone who wasn't fitting a one-size-fits-all model was being shamed and told they were doing something wrong. And I am also a child of divorced parents who mm-hmm. divorced when I was 19. So I understand. Go off to college and then everything exactly. happens, right? Yes, yes. yes. That's yeah. a common time. Uh, yeah, I had a younger brother at home. Uh, the The irony of their breakup was that it was actually on their 28th wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's how they celebrated. So, so while Susan married late in life, I very foolishly married really young in life. It was, and what was that? Um, it was, uh, it was a, a few months before my 21st birthday. Oh. I dropped out of college. I was, was studying environmental science. I realized I was not going to single-handedly save the world, got depressed, followed him to Colorado, and then he asked me to marry him, and I said, Okay, because we were in love. Mm -hmm. And um, we didn't really talk about a lot of important things like, well, how are we going to support ourselves? Are we going to ever have kids? Are we going to stay in Colorado? So that marriage didn't last very long. It was um, what is now called a starter marriage. And um, then (laughs) – At least that's in this book. It's called a starter marriage. It is. It has many other names. And um, then I met my second husband when I was 29 and uh, we married when I was 31, and then 
we started a family. Mm-hmm. But that ended in divorce too. So I am a twice-divorced woman, which um, talking about failure, other people say, well, you have two failed marriages. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You don't know what commitment is. A broken is. home. A broken home. Only, but mm-hmm. it, interestingly, the only marriage that people seem to care very much about is the second one because they were children. The first one were like, well, that one doesn't matter. But it did matter, obviously. It just didn't impact other people's young children's lives. So because of my um, double divorces, um, people think that there must be something wrong with me. I'm, I'm damaged good and I, I don't understand what commitment is or marriage. Well, uh, let's follow right up on that. That's a perfect way to get into the – I guess we'll call the parts of your book. The beginning, which we'll talk about in a little bit, which is a history and a – how things used to be and why things are perhaps the way they are today. But then you you really go into seven different marriage patterns, I guess we could call them. Mm-hmm. And the first one is the uh, – is called the um, – let me get, scroll down here. Here we go. The starter marriage. Right. Now, did this idea for this come out of your first marriage idea or did – are others doing this or how did this develop? It, it has been happening – probably unconsciously and by accident for many years. But there are people like Pamela Paul who wrote a book entitled mm. The Starter Marriage in 2002 and Margaret Mead. And I know, Vicki, you know other, Margaret Mead, the anthropologist. The anthropologist yeah. talked about yeah. it in the 60s about how much she sense it would make. She talked about a lot of different marriage arrangements. Right. Yeah. She, she did. She thought that uh, it, three marriages were needed. A starter <laughs> marriage for sex. Um, a, a, a marriage for raising children. Well, that's a good reason. I, I didn't have that down as one of those. Yes. I, she was she was pretty open minded. I think she actually was married three times. She based um, it on some. Uh, I think, as I remember reading, uh, on some of the island yes. uh, traditions yes. that she had discovered in her study. So yeah, yes, and and but even before Margaret Mead was promoting that in the 60s, I'm in ancient Japan. I found you know we found in our research that there were these limited-time contracts. And Mm -hmm. throughout history, um, people were talking about short marriages to just, you know, because you couldn't really have sex and this and that. And and this was just a way to to explore that without, you know, creating a family and a long-term commitment. So throughout history, this idea has been around. Mm -hmm. Um, We think that it's... We're ready for it now. The world wasn't ready for it then. The world is ready for it now. And millennials are talking about being interested in marrying but under very different terms. And they have very much expressed an interest in what has been called in Time magazine a beta marriage. Mm -hmm. And so if they could try it on, right, right, try it on, see if it fits, that, that makes so much sense. And and a lot of people think, well, you know, why do you even need to do that when you can just live together? And mm-hmm. many more people mm-hmm. are living together now than before because it's 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 more normalized. Um, it's not the same as what we discovered. You know, um, the world doesn't really view people who are living together as a family. Um, if you're not a husband or a wife, it's really vague on what people do within the couple. We want to know what people do. We have an idea of what a wife does and what a husband does, although often those are very gendered mm-hmm. views, mm-hmm. sadly. But we have an idea. 
We don't really know what happens within a cohabiting couple relationship. And um, and um, so even the couples themselves, because they internalize, you know, the societal idea of what cohabiting is, mm-hmm. um, they don't necessarily feel that way either. And when one of them, and then if they do decide to get married, then everyone goes, oh, finally. Right. Oh, great. Right. It kind of puts a stamp of approval on it. Right. So you can't really experience what it is like to be married if you're just living together. And and another concern about just living together versus getting legally bound is when you do split up, that's the biggest danger. And that's that's the concern is that there are not the same protections for people. Someone could get booted out on the street and have no recourse. Mm-hmm. Um, with children, it's a different story, but still you have so many more protections with being married. All right. Well, this is a good time to point out that the, you believe the starter marriage should have the, the actual agreement, written contract, that children will not be a result. Yeah. I, it's really important that um, – well. All of our marital models, we do promote contracts mm-hmm. because our, our our idea is that it's an individualized marriage, and that um, you uh, you couple consciously. It's a purposeful marriage. You're, you're you have a goal for a mar- the marriage, mm-hmm. and you need to you need to agree on what that is and who, the responsibilities within it. But um, for the start of marriage, yeah, it's really important not to have kids um, in the mix, um, we believe, because um, if you're just trying it on, it becomes much more complicated if you have kids. Now there are other responsibilities and legal responsibilities, and you don't really want to disrupt young lives. Right. You really do want to give them the stability. Um, so that's why we, we promote that there not be children in a sort of marriage. So – just to give you an idea of where I'm coming from, I was 21 and my wife was 20 when we married. I met her in March and we married in December. And we decided, you know, in our discussions, we never had a contract, but we were going to have eight children. Fortunately, we were wiser than that. <laughs> but uh, um, I remember some of the discussions we had about what's it going to be life and all this kind of stuff. And certainly they would be different at our 30s, 40s, 50s. You pick a date than they were in our, you know, early 20s. So how do we renegotiate this contract over time? I think that's the million-dollar question. It's uh, Relationships are very complicated, and one of the things that Vicki and I talk about in the book is how it, when you are at different ages, you would choose a different person for different reasons. And that's one of the reasons that we— As you're- as your spouse. As your spouse, okay. yes. And that's one of the reasons that we believe that <clears throat> if a marriage has to end, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a failure. Maybe it means both people grew and grew up. So staying in communication about what your expectations are from the other person is one wonderful way to see if you're still on the same page. But I, I feel strongly that the goal doesn't necessarily have to be for everyone that you are on the same page. You know, and Brad Pitt even talked about <laughs> saying, I feel like my marriage to Jennifer Aniston was a success and it just ran its course. And I don't mean to, you know, make marriage sound like it's nothing, but um, 
he felt very complete in that relationship. And why would that be a failure? Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, one of the questions we bring up in the book is the only way in society right now we get to decide if a marriage is a success is longevity. If it runs its entire course, so it's, a yeah. part. if yeah. someone dies, that is a successful marriage. Mm-hmm. However, I think all of us have seen marriages that look pretty horrible. They're, they don't like each other. They haven't had sex in years. Um, they don't they, – they, they fight all the time. Um, there's contempt. But by God, they're going to stay together forever. And, um, you know – there should be other ways for people to decide what is going to make a successful marriage besides longevity. If you want to go for longevity, that's great. Um, if you want some other purpose to the marriage, that's great too. Mm-hmm. You work with couples in, yes, they in do. therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, do they come to you before they contemplate getting marriage or in the, when they're in a pickle in the one they're in or – I have seen so few couples that come when they are just about to get married because I believe they're still in that romantic bubble and don't even want to contemplate the demise or any problems coming up. So that isn't generally the time that people reach out. The the wiser ones do. But more times than not, I'm seeing couples who are – experiencing problems. And one of the statistics out there by John Gottman is that couples wait an average of six years beyond when the problems have started to seek therapy. So six years later, there's a lot of wreckage, and mm-hmm. it makes my job a lot harder. But, um, you know, I I do what I can to help people. And I, I tell people that it's not about keeping the relationship together as much as what I feel my job is, is to help them be their authentic selves. Mm-hmm. When we were getting married, I was at Stanford and we went to the memorial church and talked with the minister at the church and his counsel and advice to us was don't get married. Wow. That marriages that occur while you're still in university don't last. And we left. I remember sitting in the car afterwards and me turning to Karen and saying, can you believe the nerve of that guy? The point was is he was absolutely right. We are an aberration in that yes. you know, ours has lasted this mm-hmm. long. And um but the assumption when we started out was that's what was gonna happen. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know where we got this idea and T V, books, radio, magazines, whatever. So it's, it wasn't from the church per se, because neither of us were quoting certainly from the scriptures as to why we were getting together. Mm-hmm. But um, where do people today, where do, and let's talk, about, I think we have to probably talk about different groups. Where do the 20-somethings get their information today? And, the, you well, know, this this zeitgeist, this feeling of that somehow comes from the ether about what marriage should be. Well, right now, millennials, so the 20-somethings, um, they are... I'm not saying all of them, so this is a broad stroke here. Um, there are TV shows like The Bachelor and mm-hmm. The Bachelorette. Yeah, but those are fantasy shows that are scripted. Well, be real. most of the big TV shows are reality TV shows. That is what people right. are watching. Yeah. I won't comment on that. I have my <laughs> feeling about that, but um, those are popular. Um, there is – the wedding industry is a multi-billion 
dollar mm-hmm. um, industry people. Average $28,000 for a wedding? No? Something I, like that. Yeah, at so, least in yeah. Northern California. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with a, you know, with, I don't know how many different brides magazines. You don't see groom magazines, but you see bride I have magazines. seen one groom. You have? Okay. <laughs> okay. There's one out there. There's one. <laughs> um, there are, they, there is Pinterest where women are planning their weddings to the dress, the shoes, the this and the that. There's no man in the picture, but they right, know exactly. Right. Well, so it's plug and play. I had maiden aunts, you know, who had a trousseau chest, and okay. they had their china okay. and their their silver, and yes. the, you know that okay. was what you were given each. That's person. true, and yeah. then, so this is a modern day chest like that. Um, but also, this is a generation that grew up with a lot of divorce. Mm-hmm. Mo- many of them come from um, divorced households, and. They have a different attitude now of, you know, what to expect. And and one of the statistics we found was that I think 74% of newlywed women um, expected that divorce would be, you know, would be likely. And I and, and seventy four percent of newlywed believe, women believe divorce is likely. Or, yes, it was. It was in sixty to seventy four. It doesn't matter the high percentage. Yes, yes. And then also infidelity might be come into their life, and they as might well. be related. Often they are. <laughs> Often they are, and so that's a pretty. I mean, that's a self fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Not necessarily, because what some of the more some studies have shown, if you have this, if you're too glowy and optimistic about mm-hmm. your partnership, um, it is those tend to um, to implode. So, I, if you give the option of the starter marriage in contrast with the for life marriage. Yes. When the starter marriage comes to an end, either a contractual end that's been figured out ahead of time or a mutually agreeable end at some future mm-hmm. date, un, you know, specific, uh, that's not a failure. I, I, I wouldn't consider that a failure. Would so you? that is a mindset within the society at large to have a, a seed change. That's right. right. I had a, I wanted to mention that I had an intern who was living with her boyfriend of six years, and he proposed, and she didn't want to get married, and she was afraid of it, which I think it's a healthy fear, mm-hmm. until she said to me, I realized I can get divorced. So when she realized she could get divorced, she got engaged. Okay. <laughs> so it's a mindset. Again, I do think it's a healthy fear of what marriage is in the traditional sense of till death do you part and all that it entails. Um, so, but I think that once the door has been opened to divorce to the extent that it has been, it makes it more normal. Mm-hmm. And we're in Marin and Sonoma where it's even more norm- regular than Probably a little higher, right. World, yes. Anywhere where there's large. money, there's generally yeah. a higher yeah. divorce rate. Right. Now, you're in your book, we're going to shift on here. Your next one is the companionship marriage. But I'm wondering if I thought perhaps parenting marriage would have been a good one after starter because that's well, the two well, know, the flip side of the same. Um, one thing about millennials is they are they see um, parenting as separate from marriage. They think the most important thing is parenting um, instead of marriage. So Those who want children. Those who want children. So if you don't want children and more and more people are not too interested in having children, a companionship marriage 
tends to be the kind of marriage that they might gravitate toward. So, um, and or parenting. Um, and so. it's also, you know, I, as I mentioned, didn't get married until later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, that's becoming the norm. And so if some, if millennials are, I think the projected uh, date for first marriage is going to be 45 in the next the 10 to 15. The projected date for First, First marriage marriages. Is it 45 years of age? I believe so. Wow. I may be getting that slightly Now, do wrong, we need to talk about different um, SES groups, those who are college-educated versus not, or what here? That is coming more into play. The the haves are the ones who tend to be marrying once they've got their career in so place. So Silicon Valley is Silicon very Silicon Valley, skewed. yes. Right. And the have-nots are tending not to marry, which – only in the sense of statistics, not in any other way. Right. And, right. And it's not that um, lower socioeconomic um, groups are not – don't believe in marriage. As a matter of fact, I think the research shows that they, they believe in it more strongly than a lot of the people who are getting married mm-hmm. and they be, they don't believe in divorce. And so therefore, if they're going to get married, it's going to be forever and it's going to be with someone who – is going to be able to support the family and this and that. They're much more traditional. And so they're willing to separate the parenting. And so, yeah, there's, there is a, there is a, we're talking um, in this book for the most part. And I think today in, um, for college educated couples Mm -hmm. and not um, um, high school educated or below, because that is an entirely different um, thing that's happening. and, And, and it's part of the bigger have and have not divide that is becoming quite a concern, mm-hmm. you know, in the mm-hmm. country, really. So, but we are mostly talking about. The I've been to several state. weddings recently where the bride and groom are, you know, in their at least in their mid thirties, mm-hmm. and they just they are paying for it themselves, and mm-hmm. they can do it exactly the way they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, in the venue they wanted without having to worry about, you know, having an impact financially on their parents. Right. Well, think about it. We're living longer now mm-hmm. and um, people are starting their careers first. And so they're coming into marriages with money and property right. and this and that. Um, unlike, you know, my mother's generation, which they got married in their early 20s because you basically had to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so they created that together. Um, right. You've got a line in here. What's love got to do with Parenting. Let's Let's talk about that. (laughs) You want me to read what you said or do you want to? Uh, Before we explain to you the intricacies of such a marriage, you may be wondering, what about love? That's a good lead. Susan. Sure. Okay. Well, um, so here's the natural course of events is you go to college, (laughs) you graduate, you uh, find a, a, buy a house, you Get married, you have children. Buy a house before you get married. Or get married, buy a house. Well, I don't know. know. Either... This is because this is one of those issues, the contract question. Yeah. Who owns the house if the house is purchased? Well, that's true, you know, right. right. Yeah, right. so generally uh, you want to buy it when you're married. Um, so the thing that happens so often is that this couple who's in love begin to have children and their relationship obviously why. changes. Well, of exactly. course, this all goes back to we just read in the paper the man who one of the men who invented the birth control pill just died. Yes, yes. yes. Right. So we would not be having this discussion if we did not have medical science. That is that, true. That is right. Actually, the pill 
was among the game changers for what we're seeing now. That's why we have all these choices Mm -hmm. that we didn't Mm -hmm. have. So what happens with this couple is they get split in the sense of, generally speaking, one parent has more attention on the children than the other. Often it's the mom. Mm-hmm. And the other person feels well, outed. Well, it depends. I think you may find it depends on the sex of the child and what the yeah, activities are. absolutely. If you're into so, little league or, you know, football, it may be more the dad, you know, going, that's, that's either boy or true. girl. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so what can happen inside the marriage is that the parents ha- are falling out of love with each other and they are focused on the children, mm-hmm. and that's fine if it's if there's not a lot of contention. But what research has shown is that it's actually not divorce that harms children. It's parents fighting, and that children really need more than anything to know that they are loved. They don't necessarily need their parents to be in love. Mm-hmm. And so we're actually seeing a brand new – I mean, this was something I learned doing the research for the book, and I was shocked to see it myself. But there are many websites out there where people can find a co-parent mm. to raise a child with. They're, they may marry. They may not. They may be in love. They may not be. Mm. And so, again, wow, what a range of options that people have. But I, I think the point that – People don't have to be in love to do a good job of parenting is one worth highlighting. And and also, I mean, when you think about it, um, romantic love is just this intoxicating feeling one moment, and then it is a huge disappointment, and you're so angry at your partner at the next in the next moment because of some slight that he or she did uh, or didn't read your mind because. He would have known that I wanted this, and it's it's a volatile emotion. Um, and the big C is the problem, the one you talk about in your book, communication. Yes, mm-hmm. and so um, and you know if 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 a man, you know, and I'm stereotyping here, and the man goes, "Honey, what's wrong?" And she goes, "Nothing." Let's do it the other way around, just for the heck of it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the woman says, "What's wrong here?" And, yes. and he goes, "Nothing. I'm fine." Um, Which is probable. Which is which is he thinks he's doing you know just fine. He's going to work in the right. morning, bringing money home, and and you know, yet take care of the kids, washing the dishes, just like it says he has to do. Yes, <laughs> and you know what? And you know, a few years ago, I read this article in Parenting Magazine. It was based on a, I think it was Parenting or Parents, and it was a survey of a thousand or so moms. Mm-hmm. The article was called "Mad at Dad." I think like. 50 or 60 or 70 percent of the wives were really angry at their husbands on a pretty frequent basis Mm. for whatever. Okay. Because he was the one who was there they could be mad at? Well, um, he had more free time. Lots of things. As they perceived it. Sure. But perception can be reality. You know that. And so – we look at that and go, well, that's part of love and that creates a lot of conflict and frustration and dashed expectations and hopes within within a relationship and the children are in the crossfires right. of that sometimes. Right. So we're not saying no love but we're saying um, perhaps it shouldn't be first. 
if you want to really give your children the love they need, the stability they need, the support they need. Um, I'm going to have to ask you to define love here. Well, and that's actually what I was poised to talk about because we we that is one of our questions. So we say define love, define marriage. And the point in those questions is we make a lot of assumptions that mm-hmm. we're all saying the mm-hmm. same thing. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we may not be. And that's our point is we want people to have more conscious conversations about what is love to you? What do you expect of me in a marriage? Um, you know, what should I expect of myself in a marriage? And those are the conversations that don't get had. People just go into it and just assume. I have one woman I spoke with who said that the reason they got divorced is because she wanted to have children. And he didn't, but they never talked about it. So getting back to the definition of love, I think it is a changing... Did she still love him even though he didn't want to have children? I think she did, but she wanted to have children more than she wanted to be married to someone who didn't. You've got this biological imperative. Yes, that's true. So love changes, and that's Vicky's point, I think, is that it's a changing emotion. The romantic love that the weddings are playing to is the more fragile love that, that doesn't tend to be sustainable. The deeper, more mature love is definitely something that is available if people want to go deeper mm-hmm. in their relationship. But I guess, again, the point is... There are so many more options. People can have a range of love in their relationships. They can have many different purposes for their relationships. It's not just a you know one size fits all till death do you part anymore. Right. And 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 one thing that we heard um, from our surveys of um, several hundred people throughout the world, we heard from a lot of um, people in arranged marriages mm-hmm. and. Their definition of love is so different than what happens here in the states. Well, One, that range of marriages happen here in the states. No, but I bet their yeah. definition of love. Yes, yeah. I know they do. Yeah. Especially even in the South Bay is right. huge. Yeah. Um, no, one woman said, "When you see your husband go to work every day and come home and take care of the family and you know teach your children." That's love. Mm-hmm. Well, we're back to the you – know, was it the Greek seven different words for love and each having a different meaning? Yeah. yeah. Right. We have a break. You are listening to Word by Word Conversations with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. Since Valentine's Day is fast approaching, I invited Susan P. Scott-Wa and Vicki Larson to help our listeners open their minds to marry, marriage more consciously and creatively with their groundbreaking book, The New ID. I do this every time. The new I do, reshaping marriage for skeptics, realists, and rebels. We've looked at several different options already, but stay tuned for some other new I do's right here on KRCB FM. Okay, so we got to move along. See, obviously I'm t- saying we have to. So let's look at the next one. We haven't talked about the companionship marriage. Okay. Any- now, in the, in the subtitle is Don't Worry About Love and Passion. Well, I was just speaking um, a, a little bit ago about the deeper love and the more mature love that is m- based more on a friendship and a, um, some cases co-parenting, but in, in companionship marriage, it's really um, someone to grow old with. 
I realized that I have a companionship marriage because my purpose for marrying wasn't to have children. Mm -hmm. And it's really to grow old with someone, to have someone who shares my values and, um, you know, raise chickens together. But (laughs) um, (laughs) Do you name your chickens? (laughs) (laughs) Do I have to say that on the air? No, you don't have to. It's just an embarrassing question. They have names. (laughs) Of course they do, yeah. have goats with names. Wheezy and Poncho, yes. Of course. Okay. I won't go into that too much. So um, what you've got here also is a possibility to reconnect. What do you mean by that in a companionship? Thank you for asking that. So in each chapter of the book, except for the starter marriage, we talk about the potential that people have who are already in a marriage to step back and ask each other, is this working, what we have, or do we want to redefine it? And we offer uh, steps in the book for people to take a look and say, do we want to change the rules Mm -hmm. of the marriage? Do we want to lower our expectations, change our expectations, Mm -hmm. and come to a different agreement about what we have? So that it's actually can be a way to avoid divorcing if that's what people want to do. Right. Now, in, when I read this and I read Changing the Rules, I'm, I was wondering, um, my wife and I have had a recommitment ceremony at various times, and I think we'd already changed the rules. We just kind of acknowledged these changes at that point. Mm-hmm. So, And did you have a conversation or oh, did it just— Oh, ongoing yeah. conversation. Well, you so, are yeah. an aberration. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it was, it was a— You're uh, the poster child for our book. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You know, we— um, we had some strange expectations, I think, when we were married, you know, about what things would be like. And a lot of this, let me go back to one here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to another part just to make an entirely different thing, put it in a historical context, which is we talked about we want to get back to. Let me read this to you. See if you've ever heard this. I take the ETB, my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward. No, actually, we've got to sue husband. I take thee to be my wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love, honor, and obey, till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance. And the word in there, this is the old uh, Anglican-American marriage service, Mm -hmm. or the one that the Episcopals use in this country, and it was put into place by Henry VIII. Yes. (laughs) Now, Henry VIII, as we know, historically had a strange relationship with marriage. Yes, he he did. Yes, he did. (laughs) And... um, what happened in I don't know if you know this in October 2006 the Anglican Church voted to remove the word obey from the service because it was misinterpreted by some uh, as an uh, opportunity for spousal abuse. Yeah, it's offensive. Yes. Yeah, to to be seen as property or you know. So submissive. let's talk about this cultural phenomenon known as Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> Um, the book, the movie of the book comes out just the day before Valentine's Day. And um, it's about a a submissive and a dominant, the dominant being a very wealthy man Mm -hmm. who has set up a room in his house to basically torture women. Mm -hmm. Have you read this? I haven't read it, no. Yeah, you haven't read it. Well, then you don't know what I'm talking about. No. Let Let me read a little bit about their contract. 
The submissive accepts the dominant as her master with the understanding that she is now the property of the dominant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're back to love, honor, and obey again. Yes, we are. Only much more specific, which I won't get into on the air. Well, okay. When that was the part of marriage, you really had no choice. If these, if this are, if these people are two consent, consenting adults, right, and they are both in agreement. Well, she never signs the contract. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, then there you go. Yeah. Um, our our view, and I don't, I don't know the book. I mean, I know a, a vague idea of what it's about. Um, our view, in, in when it concerns marriage, is if two people are going into it with their eyes open. Mm-hmm. And they are mutually agreeing that this is what their marriage is about. Mm-hmm. Then, even if one is more moneyed and one is much much younger, let's say in the case of uh, Hugh Hefner and Crystal right, Harris, right, right, which you use in your book, is yes, um, sixty years difference, mm-hmm. sixty years, they know exactly what they're doing. They and so therefore. There's nothing wrong with that marriage. It may not be the marriage that you want mm-hmm. or that I want or that Susan wants, but they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we're trying to get people to see. If you are creating a contract together, and of course they created a contract, um, no one's being um, manipulated. Mm-hmm. But we judge them. Mm-hmm. Yes. We judge them. We think that that's not a real marriage. We have – a lot of unspoken rules, and it's all shame We think that which is not a real marriage. The Hugh, uh, the, the Hugh marriage? Hefner, right? We think that we call well, them safety marriages. As I remember, I think she says that they're they're uh, have wonderful times playing board games and uh, cuddling on the couch. Right. Yeah. So, so it, it works for them. Yeah. Right. Well, so, that. So our point is that the, the model that we have of what it should look like, and I say that with quotes, is very shame based. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and very, there's a lot of judgment from others about who's doing it right. right. Meanwhile, behind closed doors, and that's where my work, I see, I hear from right, people right. what's really going on. Right. And, you know, even, um, you know, in the case of um, sexual fidelity, mm-hmm. everybody insists that that is a huge part of marriage. You know? Well, I'm not sure everybody does. Okay, a lot of people. The majority. The majority do. I think some recent um, study was like some huge amount, 80 or 90 percent of people said that sexual fidelity in a marriage is very important. Well, it's, I think there's two issues there, not to put my foot in the middle of this, but it's not the fidelity and infidelity so much as the trust and mistrust part yes, of it. Yes, right. Good point. Yes. Because as yes. you talk about in your book, and I'm trying to find the one that you know has that kind of relationship. That's an uh, open marriage. An open marriage. Yes. Which is an old concept. I mean, certainly yes. it's around mm-hmm. you know, in the 50s and 60s. Yes. And um, that goes back the to deal Greeks. is there is that you don't do this in secret. Well, that's absolutely right. But, so, but even though so many people believe that uh, that's a big part of marriage, we know that people are cheating. Mm-hmm. So regardless of what you're thinking it should be, we're not doing it. And there's expectations in some that's quarters right. that that just goes with the territory. You know, you get to a certain level of success mm-hmm. and you have a mistress mm-hmm. or right. boyfriend. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. And we just want people to have conversations about monogamy, have mm-hmm. – you know, intentions set and agreements made. Mm-hmm. So your expectations match. Right. 
So who is the arbiter in this if the contracts are not followed? Often it's a therapist or a clergy person. <laughs> well, that's a good question. Is yes. the clergy uh, are there clergy who go along with this? Uh, the different know. types and forms of marriages because they're pretty traditional. I mean, I mean, I won't say all are. Certainly, have, it's a covenant marriage. Yeah, well, the covenant marriage <laughs> covenant which is has, uh, been very... embraced by the um, the fundamentalist uh, Christians. Yes, right. Yes. The yes. right. Yeah. Yes. I well, do. Well, I wouldn't even necessarily right. I think it's well, yeah, but it's people who believe that. They have found Jesus, and this is part of the covenant with God. Well, I will say that the covenant marriage, which is, we joke that it, if you're in traditional marriage saying, I do, that covenant marriage is saying, I really, really, really do. Mm-hmm. And it's much harder to get into covenant marriages, much harder to get out of. It was started by a political right wing group, and it was to preserve the sanctity of marriage and Mm -hmm. prevent divorce. Mm -hmm. And also, um, some say it was to prevent gay marriage uh, Mm -hmm. from happening. Oh, yeah. That was a political action. Yes. Right. So, um, I I wanted to mention that I have spoken with pastors who tend to be more of a spiritual slash religious Mm -hmm. background Mm -hmm. who are more open to the the book concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we've talked to that many religious people, have we? No, 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 no. But to, can I, to get can to... I share something with you? Absolutely. Here? I've got. I went on a site called the Knot because it was a way yes. for yes. everything. We know you know this. We yes. do, and it has different uh, marriage vows. Mm-hmm. For, you know, from the basic Protestant one, one which we talked about a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I want to share a couple of them with you. This is the Muslim wedding vows. Some Muslim brides and grooms do recite vows. I, the bride, offer you myself in marriage in accordance with the instructions of the Holy Quran and the Holy Prophet. Peace and blessing be upon him. I pledge in honesty and with sincerity to be for you an obedient and faithful wife. Yeah, we're back to this different expectations. Um, well, again, if 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 you are accepting that, mm-hmm. Although you might want to define what obedient and does the husband say the same thing? Husband says, let me see here. The husband says, I pledge in honesty and sincerity to be for you a faithful and helpful husband. Okay. Not obedient. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because yeah, it you know, one of the big issues, I don't know if you know this in Canada, but they've all of a sudden had a big influx of, of Muslims mm-hmm. and the traditions that they brought with them, you know, being pledged when you're eight years old, a girl, and things like that, okay. have do not jibe with Canadian law. And it's taken acts of parliament mm-hmm. to, you know, the Canadian uh, legislature to ch- make that, to make sure that those things will happen and be abided mm-hmm. by the newcomers who've come. Mm-hmm. I want to give you another thing, an alternative. This is the Unitarian wedding vows, and that's a more liberal religion. Mm-hmm. The Unitarian Universalist Church leaves the service structure and wording up to the individual uh, ministers. But here's one. Will you take as your wife, husband, and pledge to share your life openly with her, him, to speak the truth for her, him, in love? Will you promise to honor and tenderly care for her, him, to encourage her, him, fulfillment as an individual through all the changes in your lives? Wow. What a contrast. Wow. Wow, yes. yes. And that seems to me someone who would be much more open to the new idea. 
Right. I do. Yeah. And by the way, when I, idea, I do. <laughs> when I when I, I do idea, my husband and I wrote our own vows, and we did not say "till death do us part." Mm-hmm. And I would love that to be the case in the sense that we stay together. But uh, George Neil, no, what's his name? Neil Donald Walsh mm-hmm. wrote a series of books called "Conversations with God," yes. and he wrote in there that God's perspective on marriage was, I didn't make that up. You guys did. and That's absolutely true. Right. right. <laughs> and, you know, that you can't promise something that you have no idea whether it can actually happen. Well, also, and I know too many people recently who are in severe dementia, Alzheimer's dementia, who are not the person, That's right. you know, really yes. there who they were five years earlier. Right. And the, on the, the difficulty of that with the spouse is just tremendous. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, wasn't it was it Ruth Gin, Bader Ginsburg's mm-hmm. husband yes. who fell in love with someone That's in right. the nursing home mm-hmm. and she gave That's not him uncommon. Their blessing. They, they may, yeah. Yes. And, and, you know, and, and, and um, one of the women we heard from, we <coughs> reference in the book, um, her husband became an invalid mm-hmm. and he, with, with his blessings, she was has a lover. Right. But I, see, immediately I come to movies that I would show in my class. <laughs> oh, I love it. Illustrate. And things. and um, of course, when she's out with her lover, people judge her. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, that is their contract, and they agree to it. And actually, that is a very loving and giving thing for her husband to do. Mm-hmm. He really and is she's actually staying with him, too. and she's staying with him because she loves him. She's in New Zealand, by the yeah. way. Yeah, and so um, this is your worldwide connection. Yes, and no, seriously, we we no, got yeah. close yeah. to a thousand in English, so it's real easy to do. Yeah. Right? Yes. So um, again, mm-hmm. if the big thing about our book is that marriage, when you get a marriage license, it just Gives, makes you privy to more than a thousand um, government perks. It does mm-hmm. not tell you that you have to live together, mm-hmm. be monogamous, mm-hmm. have children, don't have children. It doesn't tell you how you can structure your marriage. And we are saying, well, that's in your hands. Why don't you individualize your marriage contract? Mm-hmm. Just decide between the two of you what do you want to do. And you asked, you know, who is going to monitor that? Well. Um, ideally, as a couple is doing it themselves, because if they are writing this agreement out, well, ideally, yes. ideally, right. and one person is not holding up his or her end of the bargain, you know, the other spouse should say, "This is what we agreed to, and that's not happening." Was that was that expectation wrong? Do we need to rethink that? Um, or how how should we handle that? Um, so we are assuming a certain amount of maturity mm-hmm. um, with the couples who are getting married. Thoughtfulness, kindness. But you know what? It's those qualities that actually make for happy marriages, really. Mm-hmm. You know, people say marriage makes you happy. It's who the people are mm-hmm. in the marriage. We haven't talked about the external pressures on the marriage that, let's say, the spouses, one or the other, lose their jobs, mm-hmm. the downturn in the economy, the you know, the dot-com bubble bursts, et cetera, et cetera. All of a sudden, their peers, their friends, are going through the same difficulties. 
-hmm. Some get stronger. Okay. Some don't. Some break apart. So what do we take from that? I think that more than likely is an indication of how strong the marriage is, how strong the connection between the two is. Mm -hmm. And I have also seen, you know, the, the articles on the recession having people say, we don't want to split up. We don't want to divide our lives. So we need to recommit mm -hmm. and we need to make this a stronger union. And that's wonderful. Right. And I also, during the Great Recession, at one point I realized that 18% of my population was homeless. And divorce was... Your population, meaning your clients? My clientele. Okay. Yeah. And um, divorce, it, it certainly was not a good time to get divorced. Um, and so that's one of the reasons we well, the saw... the services were overwhelmed for me, just, you know, for a minor reason. The, the what? The services were just, there were too many oh, people to yeah, handle Yeah, absolutely. And not enough money mm -hmm. and a lot more need. Um, people's home values upside down and retirement accounts right. non-existent. And but so, I do know couples who walked away from their home and feel much stronger as a, as a couple because of it because they both do not have to work the you know, the 60-hour weeks right? Uh, to just stay where in their house. Well, the recession was a game changer. Mm -hmm. And that's when I saw a lot of people get more creative with if they were going to get divorced or weren't on good terms with each other, they had to get creative because they couldn't afford to live in different houses. Mm -hmm. So one would live upstairs and one down or down the uh, hall. And uh, they had to figure out a way to make it work. Is that the living alone together? No. I'm going to let Vicki talk about that one. Okay. <laughs> well, um, that, again, is not a new concept, and it's actually pretty big um, in Europe. Um, I was just reading a study that came out just this week um, because they were looking to see whether um, is this just a temporary phase that eventually leads um, that they are, you know, going to get together? Um, is this a is this a um, is this a substitute for marriage? And there is a big percentage of live apart together couples in Europe who are seeing this as an alternative to to traditional marriage. Why don't you tell our listeners what you mean by that? Okay, topic? so this is um, a committed couple, a married couple, let's say, who have separate living spaces. Up until they split just about a month or two ago, Helen Bonham Carter and Tim Burton mm -hmm. um, lived side by side. They had townhouses next to each other. Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, my mother did it for a while. Um, she just up and left New York. and <laughs> Went to Florida, as I recall. She went to Florida. Yeah. My sister was living there after attending the University of Miami and a few other relatives moved down there. And uh, she bought herself a condo, got herself a job, and lived there for about 10 years uh, on her own. And my dad would come down with the dog once a month for a long weekend. And eventually he joined her and they lived in somewhat peace for <laughs> 61 years of marriage. Mm -hmm. But um, – and then there are people who live apart because of – certainly from the Great Recession when they couldn't find jobs in mm -hmm. the same town mm -hmm. or state. Right. Um, so it's different if it's forced 
and couples will do that for a while, just they have to adjust. But it is, for a certain percentage of people, a lifestyle choice. It certainly happens with older couples who maybe are used to their space and they fell in love with someone and they committed and they married, but they, they really like their sense of freedom. So people who – that this seems to attract are people who have a sense they need a, a, a bit of freedom. But they also want commitment. Mm -hmm. And um, some of the studies say that they are as happy, as committed, or maybe even more committed than um, couples living in the same space. And one older couple who – second marriages for both of them who live separately on different coasts, um, the w woman who was divorced, he mm -hmm. was a widow, but she was divorced, said that there were so many times when she was in the same physical space as her former spouse, but they were not connecting right, at all. Right. But when she's with her new spouse now, every other week, they're spending really good time together. They you remember who said the opposite of love is indifference? Um, I wish I did. I, I, I know that saying. Yeah. I, I yes. tell yeah. my clients that all the time. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And so a lot of us, I mean, I think we spend two hours in front of the TV set. We're mm -hmm. not engaging with, no. our, with our spouse. Or on the computer screen. Or on the computer. We're in Facebook connection with somebody somewhere else. Right. I Facebook with my husband all the time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> We're very close. We do send <laughs> funny cat yeah. photos. I yeah, guess. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being polite. <laughs> so we've talked briefly about the covenant marriage. Do you mm -hmm. want to do more about that? And, and we mentioned briefly the open marriage, which I think most people of our listeners know what that means. It's not a monogamous relationship, but it's you know consensual on both sides. It's, about, it's yes. consensual and it's much more honest than um, someone who uh, is going to cheat. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also – a lot less dangerous. Um, people who engage in affairs tend to not practice safe sex. Yeah, I read that. I was really, really, really surprised about that. I, I'm not. And as a matter of fact, uh, my gynecologist told me about how many yeah. women would come into wow. the office and discover they had an STD. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you yeah. know, he would have to say, mm. you might want to have a conversation with yeah, your husband. Exactly. Well, so, no, might about it. <laughs> you must. <laughs> yes. So we have the next group we haven't talked about the, is the safety marriage. Right. So the safety marriage is one that is more based on a financial or quid pro quo agreement, whatever that might be for the couple. It could be I will go and But earn. it's not the prenup. That's a separate – The prenup is – You think is, that – recommend if I recall that everyone basically we do, should right. have that. And part of – again, the reason that we – want people to have prenups is because it makes you have a conscious conversation. And in a safety marriage, it may be that there is one party who makes a lot of money and the other one who will stay home and take care of the home or mm -hmm. the kids mm -hmm. or maybe run the business or whatever the arrangement is. Um, but they basically – one gets security and one gets um, other life needs met. Um, so, it, again, it's one of those situations where if it works for that couple, who are we to say that that's not a valid marriage or a valid reason to get married? California is a community property state, mm -hmm. which means or has meant that 50-50 is the split that's right. set up. Now, does a 
safety marriage or a business contract or a marriage contract, can that uh, can you set up a trust so that percentages are given so that it's not a 50-50 split? Well, neither of us are lawyers, but um, from what I understand is that you can do that in a prenup. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, the the point is you can make a lot of different agreements about you can talk about how many children you'd like to have. You, we've all heard the Hollywood prenups about can't gain more than five pounds, and so you can put anything in a prenup. Yeah, well, that's, that's actually in the in the um, Fifty Shades of Grey contract. Yeah, yeah. But whether it's she has to go and keep herself healthy and, and uh, yeah. fit. But whether you can uphold <laughs> and he will that pay for the gym in court, <laughs> that's another story. Yes. So you can you know, but the value that we talk about is setting the intention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I think the so, great recession. So intent, we're, we're finally on that word. Yes. What is the intention of people getting married today? What are the, the six, five, pick a number of reasons people give that are different. Oh, I was going to say love. traditional, <laughs> yeah, see? Yeah. Well, see, we're not, we haven't really defined what that means, and that could right. vary from couple to couple. Well, well, when the Pew asks the Pew Research yes. Center asks people what are the reasons to get married, uh, the the number one is love. Right. Second one is commitment. The third one, I believe, is companionship. Mm-hmm. Financial think, security is in there. I is, don't know. Is fourth or fifth? Yeah. And um, so, so those are the reasons why people. Um, and I think children is in there too. And so those are the reasons why people say that they want to get married. But here's the thing. No one really has to get married nowadays. You can have sex outside of marriage. I thought there was a song, Love and Marriage, Love and Marriage. You know, they go <laughs> yeah, there was. Like, How many wow, years okay. ago? I There's think no it was Frank Sinatra, song. so it's been yeah. a while. Yeah. <laughs> so you can have sex. You can have children outside of marriage. People do. You have financial security. Obviously, one follows the other, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you can live with someone. For the first time really in history, marriage has – Real competition. There are so many other ways to be a couple mm-hmm. that you don't need marriage. But, as Susan mentioned earlier, it offers protections mm-hmm. that you will not get if you just live together. Um, but beyond that, it has to mean something. Otherwise, you wouldn't see the huge push by same-sex couples mm-hmm. to get married. And, and be acknowledged and, you know, officially as a... Well, that's right. it. It's not just financial. It is... It's not a civil union. It's a statement. Yeah. It is a statement. And and that really matters to mm-hmm. us still. Still, it matters. And that's that's one reason that people get married that probably didn't happen 40 years ago. Um, and I think another reason that people might say they get married today that they may not may, – maybe they did. But status, um, it, it, it definitely feels like what's going on with millennials is they're getting their lives in place and it's what uh, Andrew Cherlin calls the capstone. Mm. It isn't necessary. It's just, it's just a nice one topper. makes yeah. the arch work. Exactly. Right. You have been listening to Word by Word Conversations with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. Today's guests were Susan Pease-Godwa 
and Vicki Larson, who shared some decidedly different ways to celebrate Valentine's Day with their groundbreaking book, The New I Do, Reshaping Marriage for Skeptics, Realists, and Rebels. Today's studio engineer is Jesse Fancushin. Our KRCB staff support is from Wendy Nicholson and Sean Knight. Our theme music is by Bill Conti, and I am your host, Gil Manser. We invite you to join us at 4 p.m. on Saturday afternoon, March 8th, when hearing from a leprechaun or two is a distinct possibility. Until then, we wish you an innovative and creative Valentine's Day. <laughs>